What is up, everyone? Welcome back to another edition of our weekly market update as to what is going on with the economy, what is going on with the country, and more importantly, what is going on in the local Bay Area market. Of course, this is a live show. So if you have any questions, leave in the comments below. I will be answering them. And if you're unable to make it, let's have a separate discussion. You can reach me at any time. Here's my contact details. And I actually have two asks for today. If you know of anyone that's considering to buy or sell or invest, love to get connected, 408-547-4590. But actually, more importantly, I am growing my team. So for any of you that are going through a career shift, any of you that might be wanting to become a realtor, my team is growing and we desperately need a lot more agents to be able to help with all of you wonderful people that are continuing to work with us and help us go through this journey of making the move. And so if you know of anyone that's considering, love to sync up with them. Or if anyone is a realtor, love to talk to you to have you join my team to see if it's a right fit for you. Now, let's go over the news of the week. We got several big news. Uh, first and foremost, we're going to talk about the Fed making their interest, uh, their rate hike this week. That's certainly very big news. And it's the hike itself isn't that dramatic. It is what the expectations will be moving forward is the difference. And then we have a lot of local real estate news that has been going on. A lot of companies still moving around. A lot of companies still making moves. So those are all important things for us to go over. So let's talk about it. So Fed raises rates by another three quarters of a percentage point, pledges more hikes to fight inflation. And so this is, uh, as I mentioned, expected. Central basis points was expected given the, the uh, prints of last week of where inflation was. Now, at the same time, what this also means is they have continued to be very firm at saying, look, we're going to keep raising inflation or keep raising federal federal fund rates until we can actually have some sort of team of inflation. And unfortunately, right now, nothing really has changed. Their goal ultimately is to bring down inflation to 2%, which is incredibly low, given we haven't been in those numbers for a long time. So they're going to keep raking it up. The question, though, is, as you can see, they're right now implied terminal rates. So that's very important because that's where they eventually want to end up to be. It's going to be at 4.6% in 2023. This implies a quarter point rate hike next year, but no decreases. Now, that's the estimate of the range, right? And so right now, as you can see, with, with where the treasury yield is and where interest rates are, uh, their target is between 45 to 5%, and that's consensus now. So we really want to keep this in mind in terms of where how much further this can be and they're probably going to be increasing as you can see every 75 basis points to, to continue to push this because it's not trending down enough and you can hence see like where the, all the expectations are so if it continues to hit that terminal number which will take still some time 75 basis points at a time will stick still take a, a six months at least to get to that number you can see this that it, it'll take about until April 2023 to about 4.5%. And so time will tell, right? And that's the question that everybody is dealing with as an investor, as a potential home buyer, as potential people managing your assets, right? And all assets get deflated uh, when it comes to this. And so until we can see substantial changes of inflation, we're going to likely continue to see these moves. And even inflation does tame, we're going to see these moves till this number, about 45 to 5%. That is the target of what they are trying to do. Now, if so the question moving forward is, if inflation does get tamed and inflation does drop, 
then what we will see, we may see slower rate increases, but the goal is still those numbers until unless we see dramatic increases. But what if what is going to be really interesting is because of these increases, we're going to see um, unemployment rates increase. I think they're targeting. I think it was, last time I looked at it, it was like five or six percent. So that is very important to understand that they're going to be pushing unemployment. So we're going to see layoffs because that is going to be needed to combat inflation, given the different things that we're doing is just not enough. So we're likely going to see higher and higher inflation. We're going to see more and more layoffs. That's not going to be unreasonable. Now, it's not going to be, keep in mind, it's not going to be massive layoffs. I mean, think about back in 2008. Did you have a job in 2008? Maybe you're getting out of college. Maybe you're still in school. Maybe you were just working just fine. You didn't even realize there was much of a recession. That at that time, unemployment at the peak of things was like 11 or 12 percent, which is just crazy. That was a very, very dark time. Now, with this, even at six percent, that's only half of that. And so majority of people will not actually feel any impact at all. But it's important to be mindful that unemployment will likely increase. That is their goal. They want to actually have unemployment so that it can cool this inflation numbers down further. But what's also hard to predict, and this is why it's so difficult to predict timing-wise, typically as a government, if unemployment is too high at that point, they don't let it usually ride out because there will be a lot of social unrest. And so what happens, they'll start printing money again and they'll start doing different things to boost. And that's just natural. So there's actually usually some sort of buffers. Right now, the buffer is the Fed is is doing a lot of push to, 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 to draw down uh, inflation. As inflation will decline likely over time and as unemployment increases, there'll be a point, maybe political, that they say, look, we need to pump more money back in. We need to get people back to their jobs. And this is a cycle over and over again. So hence why, like, it's never usually too extreme one or the other um, because of just all these external forces that that occur. So that's that's just how things ultimately work out. So that's something to be mindful of. But it's also important just to keep tracking. Right. A lot of people want to see these numbers see where they're at, see where they're progressing, and then maybe make a move from there. Now, to be fair, these numbers of like uh, these numbers of uh, interest rates and things like that, there are many options that you can still do, right? Adjustable rate mortgages are all great options. They're much less. They're probably about 0.5 to 0.75% less than a 30-year fix. Uh, for those that are uh, using a jumbo product, you can work with wealth management arms I actually just heard another client buy, buy a home for under 4% today, today. So all this shenanigans about, oh, rates are higher. I can't afford anything. That's all completely mental. It's just a math equation, right? You simply do the math equation. What are you comfortable with? That's your only thing that matters, right? You can afford up to X. I can, up, up, I can afford up to five 5,000 bucks a month, 6,000 bucks a month, whatever it is. And then just understand, okay, what that means is you can buy up to $800,000, you can buy up to a million dollars, you can buy up to $2 million, and then look for homes under $2 million. Fortunately, prices have declined by 15% already since April, so that you have the opportunity to be able to already have it adjust. And that's a big benefit that we have in the Bay Area that most other places do not have. If you're living in Miami, you did not, prices only dropped like 2-3% out there. And so you just have been way more unaffordable in buying those markets. But at least with the Bay Area prices have declined by 15%, making it a discount, making it easier for people to be able to make a move. So that's the news of the Fed rate hike. Now, we're going to talk a lot about uh, local local city news. 
Um, there's a lot of actually movement of what companies are doing and where there's opportunities. And uh, that, that's always very exciting. So Salesforce, Mark Benioff, they just had Dreamforce this week. Leave in the comments below, did you go to Dreamforce? There was a stat of uh, how many people went to Dreamforce. It was a lot smaller than before. They cut back big time. It was a combination. I'm not sure of they're getting back into the conference mode, which a lot of people wanted to do. Uh, certainly recession risks, certainly budget cuts from these startups. Uh, but there's a lot less people than before. But it was still cool to see. I mean, it still took over San Francisco. Uh, the parties and the events were still a lot of fun. Um, there's still a lot of activity, a lot of energy there. But did you go to Dreamforce? What did you think of Dreamforce? Have you gone there before? And how did you compare this time versus before? At least we have it back. And that's a good thing. But here's the interesting part. Salesforce founder and CEO Mark Benioff has long made a show of his love for San Francisco. That is true. He used to campaign it a lot. And then uh, what's interesting, so here's the numbers of Dreamforce, which is pretty wild, right? 40,000 attendees for Dreamforce this year versus historically is 171,000, 170,000 people. Pretty, pretty stark change. And at the same time, a lot of things has also changed, right? He's no longer... Uh, they're subleased a lot of their space, even at Salesforce Tower, which is a building that they don't even own themselves. So it's fantastic marketing on their end. But um, the aspect of in the past being very active in the local community has, has certainly changed. And it's not entirely his fault of doing this, right? Like the city is not really helping themselves with all the different things that they're doing. They're not taking pay cuts to be able to help the city do these different things. They've been absorbing a lot of the money that the tech industry had provided to them over the last several years. And now it's become a shell of itself and it's become a very difficult thing to get out of. And so the question ultimately is now these articles of, okay, all these wealthy billionaires that there are so proponents of, you know, there are so proponents of the city and things like that. And you can see like people are, are tracking everything from what he says, San Francisco tweets. Right in the past, he was extremely vocal about the different things happening. Now he doesn't even doesn't want to talk about it. Doesn't even want to mention it. Um, he talks about Hawaii more over the lot over COVID than uh, San Francisco. So like you see these different things happen, um, and it's a uh, it's a it's such a challenging thing. I mean, he's been a big proponent. At the same time, the city's not really cooperating or doing as much as they could possibly do to really change this. I mean, I think in general as a macro. And I don't think it's too outrageous. Safety is number one. Number two is the homeless population. Like what can be done around that? And then that just kind of opens it up big time. I mean, so many people are leaving San Francisco because of those, those core reasons. If you're able to take care of those safety as in less crime, punishing crime, homelessness, then things will do a lot better in that city. And then you can get more business to come back. There are businesses I love to come back if it makes sense for them, especially given it's so much cheaper now to get commercial real estate there. So, but they gotta they gotta step up. They gotta step up. They gotta do what what is needed. But they're they're not. And if they don't, they're gonna keep keep going keep going the direction that they've been going. Next, let's talk about some other more news or other news. Google revamps historic building in downtown San Jose Transit Village. We're gonna see a lot of these happening. Right? It's either gonna be. Uh, Tear down if it's not a historic building, or it's going to be renovations. There's going to, and they're going to continue to take advantage of some of the infrastructure that is already there. And Google, with uh, with all their money and opportunities, they can do all these different things of just converting these um, maybe factory old factories, 
Uh, I remember there's a there's a walnut factory, uh, or there used to be a walnut factory in the lofts in downtown San Jose. So that's been pretty cool that they gutted that in the past, re redid that, and now it looks completely different and it looks quite nice. So we're gonna see a lot more of this uh, progress, a lot more of these renovations and developments happening throughout the years, especially as Google Village continues to be uh, progressing. Next, big transit-oriented complex pushed ahead in South San Francisco. City approvals clear pathway for new offices, shops, restaurants next to BART station. So this has been somewhat over um, overlooked in terms of more development happening in South San Francisco. So while San Francisco itself, and South San Francisco is not the same, but while San Francisco is dropping lots of workers, South San Francisco has been booming with lots of employment. And what is out there? Mostly biotech. And so you have that. And then we also have infrastructure continues to be built. So um, near downtown South San Francisco, I think pretty much walking distance, you have the BART stations, the Caltrain stations, and they're going through a lot of renovations and a lot of projects there. I mean, take a look at this. This is an addition of 2.8 million square feet of office research and lab space. These are massive projects that are continuing to be built. And most of the times, most of these builds are, are always going to be mixed use spaces now. That's just the best use of space. You see that all over the Bay Area. Um, you just have apartments, either rentals or condos up top. You have some retail on the bottom. It's convenient. It's easy. People like that. Um, it's a good use of space, too. So it's not just a waste of just a restaurant and nothing above it. So those are all the new ways of how they're developing things that still sells and rents well, but also can best use that space and especially given that they're going to be near transit stations their density is a lot higher as in they do not have to put as much parking space and so that's why you will continue to see a lot of these developments happening around transit stations and uh, investments continue to take place so you can see where the location is uh oyster point is uh i believe all a little bit on the on the east there and so you have these opportunities and they're going to continue to grow so even though the weather isn't the greatest in south san francisco um, but location-wise, very, very prime. I would suspect a lot of growth there, and that's one of the places that I'm extremely bullish with moving forward in the next decade of places that will do very well. Next, Bay Area Biotech, boom, nets nearly $400 million across Tree of Life Science deals. These deals are still happening, regardless of what you hear about the economy, regardless of all this kind of news, acquisitions selling moving of life science buildings of lab space is going to continue to happen over and over again especially in the bay area there's just so much opportunity in that arena right now and so because of that there's so much capital being raised so many bets being done and so much more need of lab space so that industry has been booming so if you've been in tech and maybe you're looking at a transition this is a great opportunity to continue to look into to see if biotech will be of interest there are a lot of similar problems. You can be someone in math, you can be computer science, you can be in data science, you can be in analytics. A lot of the same things that they're imp uh, they're using now in terms of their research and in terms of their bets that they're making. So very fascinating to see, but you're going to continue to see this happen. Next, Zynga announces move, doesn't a smaller San Mateo office as new HQ after decamping from, from San Francisco. So what's interesting, I don't know, maybe you may have not even known that Zynga still exists, but uh, Zynga continues to exist. 
They actually have continued to do just fine. You're still a publicly traded company. But that huge office that they had in San Francisco, I still remember it because that was a very big staple of San Francisco during the heydays of, of Facebook and uh, Zynga with their with their games of Farmville. But now they've also they moved down to San Mateo. But it's interesting too, right? They still moved to a physical office in the Bay Area instead of just buying a or renting a, a much smaller, cheaper office in San Francisco. They decided not to follow how these people are doing the money. Follow follow these trends. Next, Stanford University unit grabs big Bay Area apartment complex. More than 700 units are involved in the deal. So many of you, you know or don't know, Stanford is actually a huge landlord in Palo Alto. And they continue to gobble up the space, whether it's for uh, their professors. So they have deals if they're like um, they, they work at Stanford. So there's always programs and deals that they have there, which is very interesting. They also have uh, obviously lots of students that continue to come. They have tons of space and they have tons of money. So they continue to make these deals, which is very fascinating, right? Like acquiring a 759 unit complex. How much does this complex cost? Um, this costs $125 million alone. If it's 750 units, let me see. In the East Bay, East Bay, they were already charging like 500,000 per unit, something like that. So here, if it's on this side, my guess is maybe 700,000 per unit. Hmm, let me see. Let me see if we can find exactly how much this was worth. The assessed value of the buildings involving was 30, 35 million. For the one thing, 125 million loan, that was issued, far exceeds the assessed value. See, they were talking about seeing these other buildings that were bought for 580,000 per unit. All the Palo Alto point to value out $440 million. See, others will put this into a $600 million range. So that's kind of my estimate. I was, I was like, maybe it was 530 million plus because that would be like 700,000 per unit. But these would probably be, so they didn't actually disclose this, but they're guessing it's probably $600 million range. That means it's equivalent to about uh, 800,000 per unit. Incredible, right? $600 million deal. They didn't even mark that roughly potentially of 700 units, uh, 759 units. So they're continuing to gobble up. You think that's that's a lot of money to Stanford? That's not. If you look at their endowments, you look at their books, that's not a lot of money for them. So they're continuing to gobble up, to continue to grow their campus, grow their grow for their, especially for their uh, professors. Uh, that is likely the reason why they made this deal. And they will continue to eat that up. They actually are a decent buyer of single family real estate too. And so if you think that Palo Alto prices can decline a lot, that's part of the reason why it probably cannot because you have a big player, which is a giant institution that will be your flooring. So if you, if prices drop too much, do you think they have a shortage of money? The answer is no, they have tons of money. They will be buying things in masses if there's even any slight of decline. So it's a very interesting proposition. Hence why Palo Alto's market continues to do very well, regardless of what happens, because you have a you have a institution there that will be your stopgap of buying properties. Very interesting. Not many people know this. And very few universities have this kind of power working with the city and, and having that connection for it being so tied, but very secretly gobbling this up. Most do not know how much Stanford actually owns uh, in terms of Palo Alto. But now you have a small glimpse as to what they have been doing. And this is going to be happening over and over. Next, 
Choice Sunnyvale site is grabbed by veteran Bay Area developer properties located in one of Silicon Valley's hottest spots. You may have seen this as you've driven by 237. So you have the Google campus. Look at, look at this though. You have Google, Google. This is the one, no, the, this is the one that you may see. This is the one next to uh, when you're about to get on 101. So 101, 237, uh, you have a building. And then there's usually, I think like I love API or something. I think that was what was labeled there. I, for, I don't recall what was there. If you are working on a Google campus and you know, drop in the comments below what that what that says. I think there's a, there's some post-its like I love APIs or something like that. Or, or I don't think it's I love Google, but I think I love APIs. But anyways, there is this other building next to it. Uh, that's by Daytrim's using it, Silk Road's next to it, Advanced Microwave, but all around it's all right, Google. So why did this developer want to buy this space? They want to buy this and they bought it in all cash, likely to eventually tear this down, make a brand new one. And then Google can then come in and 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 potentially take it. So that's probably the renovation move that these developers are making. They're still making it today. So that you can see like the value at plays that these these people are doing when it comes to sizes at this amount, right? This is $28 million for the two building properties. I mean, how much does this, how much do you think this even rents for? Probably not that much relative to 28 million, but the fact that they're probably going to be using, going to completely change uh, the size of it and rent it to a super class, a big tech company. And that's likely the move. But last but not least, just some news for people to also understand. Tech workers at companies laid off due to housing market slowdown. There's, there's some truth to this, and I'm going to comment on this because for many of you that are affiliated with Compass or know of Compass uh, or may have worked with somebody at Compass or just haven't even heard of Compass, like Compass has did huge moves um, through the years. And their strategy at that time was they had this massive war chest and they were just gobbling up teams and brokerages so that they become the top brokerage. Now, at that time, many years ago, when I was tracking this, they had the opportunity to become their own MLS because if they controlled a majority of the listings, they control the power. I mean, think about, think about New York. New York, it's all controlled by brokers, right? Because there is no real public MLS there. It's controlled by the top companies that own all the listings. So they control everything, right? And Compass had somewhat of a chance to do that because they gobbled up a lot of talent. They had generally a higher percent market share, but the challenge is you can't gobble up like 90%, right? So you can't gobble everyone. So you had a good market share, but it was very hard to do that. And number two is that, was that sustainable, right? Because they're acquiring people by paying them a lot of money to move their team from one brokerage to another. And that was their incentives. And then over time, they said they were a tech company and they're doing all these different that things. And they're saying we have all this innovation and then that way we can get our valuations higher. And now the truth is a lot of things are really unraveling because they have been burning and losing a lot of money every year. Look at their books, it's not good. They laid off another 3,000, or sorry, they have 3,000 people in the Bay Area. They, they continue to have their second round of layoffs and they're cutting back in, in tech, um, so-called tech. I'm not sure what real tech they actually have, per se. Um, but they're cutting back significantly. And then because of this, they're likely going to be also seeing uh, other people and other groups leave. So that uh, the move from agents are also leaving, too. 
right? Because people are realizing, hey, look, should I still stay here? All, all my perks are the same. Okay, my perks are gone. The tech is a lot. I don't really use the tech or the tech is not that useful. And then uh, I'm paying a lot of money to the brokerage. Like, does it still make financial sense for me, especially in a market that we're in a downturn and it's a shrinking market? And so then a lot of people are ultimately making their moves, right? And so that's the inherent challenge that they have to deal with. So if you're an agent at Compass, and this is a separate segment now, if you're an agent at Compass, we need to talk. I need to talk to you. You need to explore options at my platform at eXp. We need to see if it's the right fit. And we'll do the math breakdown. We'll do the future breakdown too of how confident you are with the current brokerage. And that way you can make a decision for yourself. Is this the right time for a move? But for everyone else, it's going to be continue to be interesting to see. They're going to go through a lot of challenges moving forward because of their model. This fundamentally is not wasn't a profitable model to begin with. Just ask anybody. I've asked the people that work there. I was like, wow, you're getting paid what? And you give them what? How does this math even add up? Unless it's like a straight up, just a, pretty much like a Ponzi scheme. The math doesn't even add up, right? And so it's it, it was it was really bizarre for a long time and now if they want to try to rebalance it where they're actually making more money from their agents and the sign-on bonus are giving them then the question is will the agent stay and the answer is probably not and that's why you see a very big move continue to happen within compass and you're going to see more and more hurt and pain in this brokerage because of the model that they have been set up well this has been a fun one we had a lot of news for the week a lot of local things are happening. Of course, if you have anyone that you know that's considered to make a move to either buy, sell, or invest, reach out below, 408-547-4590. Or if you're an agent in any place in the country, we need to talk. Reach out. Send me a text, and we can go from there. Have a good weekend. Bye now.